God for America. Hey, every year at VBS, which we just finished last week, uh, we begin the day with the pledges to the American flag and to the Christian flag and to the Bible. So we thought that'd be cool today and have some boys and girls come out here and help us to do that. So let's begin over here with the American flag. We'll all say the pledge together. Attention, salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And now on the other side over here, we'll pledge to the Christian flag. Attention, salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to Savior whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting all Christians in service and love. And here in the center, we'll pledge to the Bible. Attention, salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word, and will make it a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, and will hide its words in my heart, that I might not sin against God. Amen. Let's thank these guys for helping us out this morning. Mighty Fortress is our God. Let's sing it good and loud here. Declare this truth together. Almighty Fortress is our God.
rock of ages. Our Father is our friend, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Restorer. Let's sing this together and draw near to the great I Am.
There's a wall that has been standing since the day that Adam fell. Sin is where it started, and sin is why it fell. Speaking as a prisoner who was there and lived to tell, I remember how it fell. I can hear the sound of freedom like a distant voice call. It beckoned me to follow where I had never gone. Though my heart was willing, I just stood there at the wall, praying somehow it would fall. But in a cross I found the doorway and the hand that held the keys. And when the chains fell at my feet, for the first time I could see. Yeah. This is how it feels to be free. This is what it means. nightmare burning deep within I can feel the voice of evil I can hear the call of sin but I won't go back again you see once I tasted freedom the chains could buy no more mercy gave me wings to fly like an eagle I can soar this is how it feels to be
Uh, thank you, team. Take your Bible this morning and go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 32 in a moment and read through the chapter break into chapter 5, down through verse number 11, a message that I've entitled, When the Offering Does the Preaching. So today I'm continuing in our study through Acts and looking at themes through there. And so we come today to Acts chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 32. We've come through Pentecost. We've seen uh, preachers in jail set free, and now we come to Acts 4 verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him as was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. They would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, the Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him up and carried him out. They buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. There are two directional attacks that come against the people of God. One of those is external, the culture. The culture comes against the church. We see that in chapters 3 and portions of chapter 4. Peter and John heal the lame man. People get upset, put him in prison. Tell them never to speak again. The culture comes against the church. We saw that last week, this persecution outside the church coming to us. 
Oh, we live in a culture today that uh, turns against the church. We live in a culture turning more and more away from the mooring of our own land uh, here in America. God chose Israel. He hadn't changed his mind. He still chooses Israel. In our beginning, America chose God. We're not God's chosen nation. My goodness, we're not even 250 years old. Just a blip in history. But in our beginning, looking at our documents, our forefathers chose God, but we have more and more turned against God. We have turned away, and there needs to be a repentance today. Even our coinage in 1864 said in God we trust uh, on it Uh, you understand there's a turning away in our world today and when our culture turns away from God they will turn on God's people that's the culture but it's not in my estimation the greatest difficulty That external pressure is difficult, but the worst attack we get is internal. It's those that are on the inside playing a game and not being all that Jesus called us to be. We find that in our text today. Notice in verses 33 and 34, they are living in the early days of the church and great power Uh, is on the people. The power of God is there. There is abundant grace. They are preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died. He rose, and He is saving, and He is changing. He is revolutionizing people by abundant grace. Dear friend, He'd do that for you today. Jesus loves you. God gave Him life for you. Jesus died for you. God raised him, and he offers you abundant grace to cover your sin and save you. Abundant grace was there. Generous giving was going on. Uh, They were coming and laying their uh, sales receipts at the feet of the apostles. There was great, generous giving in that early church, and there was trusted leadership. They came to the apostles and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, we give it to you. However, In the midst of great power, abundant grace, generous giving, and trusted leadership, there came a troubling action in the church. I don't know how they all did this, but some of the people had houses and lands. And some of them would sell the house or sell the land and bring all of it and lay it at the apostles' feet for the good of the poverty-stricken church. Barnabas was one of those. This son of encouragement, he came and sold his property. I have people who come to me like this from time to time. I had one two weeks ago. Uh, There's the greatest transfer of wealth ever in American history going on right now. My generation, the baby boomers, born from 46 to 64, our parents are dying. And many of them leave wealth, some small, some great. You have to decide if you're going to tithe that when it comes to you, or give it all, or give a portion. People ask me about that from time to time. I don't know how all of this transfer was going in this first century, but Barnabas had land. He sold it. He said, I'll give it all, and he brought it and gave the money at the apostles' feet. And 
people were greatly encouraged by Mr. Encouragement. But then there was a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They saw the glory given to Barnabas and they thought, hmm, well, Barnabas, they cheered him, they'll cheer us. So Ananias got Sapphira over in the corner and said, now darling, this is what we're going to do. We got this piece of property that daddy left us. And we're going to sell it and, and, and it's worth $10,000. And we're going to tell the apostles that we sold it for five and that we're giving all of it. But we're going to keep the other five for ourselves. <laughs> so that's what they did. They kept back a portion. I don't know how much. My illustration just being 50-50. But they lied. Ananias brought the gift. Sapphira was off already shopping. Ananias brought the gift. And Peter asked him why he lied to the Spirit of the living God. And he fell down dead. The pallbearers came, covered him up, took him out, and buried him. Three hours later, the Bible says, his wife showed up. Peter asked her, was that the price? She said, yes, that was the price. That's what we... And he asked her the same thing about why have you agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. She fell down dead. Paul bears waiting at the door, came, got her, covered her up, took her out, buried her next to her husband. And great fear fell on the church. Now, aren't you glad that this is not a timeless principle that the Spirit of God still uses? If God killed everybody that lied about their offering, I, I wouldn't have time to do anything but funerals. That's all I'd do. But, but the Lord is sending a message, and it has very little to do with money. It has everything to do with the heart. So I want us to learn about that for a few minutes today. Give a gospel invitation, invite you to come to faith in Christ, invite you to put your life in this church. What do we learn first from Ananias and Sapphira? Secondly, what do we learn from Barnabas? Number one, what do we learn? The lessons we learn from Ananias and Sapphira. There are three of them that I want to give us. Number one, I submit to you that jealousy always divides. Jealousy always divides. Selfishness is at the root of Ananias and Sapphira. They are saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Just like everybody gave glory to Barnabas, we want some of it. Can I just say to you again that what I've said over and over? It's not about you. It's not about me. Now I want us to chap every English teacher in the room. And I want you to say these words with me. I want you to say it twice. It ain't about me. Here we go. One more time. It ain't about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. Dear friend, hear me. Jealousy divides when you begin to see, oh, they did that for them, they did that for them, they did this, now they won't do it for them. Jealousy will bring division in the church. There is great difficulty on those from the outside coming against the church, but the greatest divide we have are those within the inside of the church living with a divisive spirit of jealousy. Jealousy divides. Secondly, hypocrisy, hypocrisy demonizes. Notice verse number three. Peter looked at Ananias and said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? 
He's supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but he's filled with a demonic spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. When people in the body of Christ become such hypocrites that they lie to the Holy Spirit, they have demonized the church. I do not believe that a believer, a follower of Christ, can be demon-possessed. But I do believe you can be demon-influenced. He can sway our life. I don't believe he lives within us. Oh, there's not room in me for holy God and an unholy spirit. But he does move us. If you become a hypocrite, the wickedness of this world will demonize you and you'll live not for Christ but live for the devil. He said, oh, preacher, I don't even believe in a devil. Well, you just keep that up. I'm telling you, he's real. He was real on the first page of the Bible, and he's real on the last page of the Bible. He's real in this church. He's real in your life. He's real in our culture. He goes about like an angel of light, but he's the devil of hell. And he demonizes the church when hypocrisy rules within it. Hypocrisy, the word hypocrisy literally means to put on a mask. It's you're over here one thing and then you put on a mask and you're something else. Hypocrisy demonizes, jealousy divides. And thirdly, I want you to understand from Ananias and Sapphira that deceit destroys. These are deceitful people. And deceit will destroy the church of the living God. It'll destroy a class. It'll destroy a, a group. It'll destroy a church. It will destroy your home when deceit begins to rule. Now, it's amazing to me that this particular principle is true twice, twice in all of the Word of God. First of all, we find it in Joshua chapter 7, and it's always at new beginnings when we find this kind of deal. When Moses died. Joshua's the new leader of Israel. They're going into the promised land. The first place they show up is where? Jericho. They walk around Jericho how many times? Seven times. The walls fall down, and Joshua says there is a ban. There is a ban. Take no gold. Take no silver. Do not take the things of Jericho. Leave it. And we will gather and place it in the treasury of God. great victory they go to the next town Ai A and an I Ai and they march into Ai they get run out like a pack of rats and Joshua said whoa something's wrong there must be sin in the camp and he begins to pray and look he brings Achan before him and he says Achan have you lied to God he said I hid the gold it's in my tent I buried the gold under my tent they went and dug out the gold and the silver found it came back and found Achan they killed him took him outside and burned he and his family the lesson was sent hypocrisy will ruin 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 the people of God fast forward to the New Testament they're entering into a new time what happens Achan happens again and here it's Ananias and Sapphira. I say again, aren't you glad this is not a timeless principle? Amen. God is sending a warning. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be jealous. 
Don't be filled with deceit. That is what will divide and conquer the church faster than the culture. Is the internal dwelling of deceit will kill a church. So we learn from Ananias and Sapphira. But we then also learn from our friend Barnabas. We find Barnabas. He's in verse 36. He's, his name is given as Joseph. Joseph. A Levite, he's of the tribe of, I mean, this is an insider's insider right here. He's of the tribe of the priesthood. Yet he's from Cyprus, he's born a foreigner, but yet he is of the tribe of Levi, and he then is given a second name, Barnabas, which by translation means Mr. Encouragement. He encouraged the church, he encouraged Paul, he encouraged Mark. Barnabas, he he got the money from somewhere. He got the land from somewhere. And they sold it and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I don't know where Barnabas got his money. I, I don't know. Maybe Mrs. Barnabas' daddy died. And they inherited a track of land. And then they're going to sell it and give it. I don't know. I, I met a man over in Mississippi. I've told you about him before. I was preaching over in a little country church in South Mississippi, and I met an elderly man. He's 90-some-odd years old. I think he was 90, he told me. He came up to me, and he looked at me real fast. And he looked right at me, and he said, Philip, I, I, you never met a man like me. You never, you never met a man like me. I'm telling you, I'm one of a kind. You never met a man like me. And the longer he talked, the more I agreed. <laughs> and I, he, he said, I'm 90, and this is my wife, and she's almost 90. I said, well, good. I said, how long y'all been married? He said, five years. We've been married five years. I said, wow. He said, her first husband was my best friend. And, and when they got married, I sold them 20 acres of ground, and he worked that property all his life. He died, I married her, got his wife and my land back all in the same deal. That's <laughs> what he told me. And I looked at him and I said, sir, I have never met a man just like you. I don't know where Barnabas got his land. I don't know where it came from. All I know is he had a track of land. He sold it, and he brought it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Some of you are inheriting things, and you need to honor God through that inheritance or however that comes. What do we learn from Barnabas? Three things I want you to see very quickly. Number one is generosity, generosity. Giving up resources for the whole. It is still more blessed to give than it is to receive. Uh, here is Barnabas. He, he brings this title of the deed and lays it and gives the sale of it to the apostles. Oh, hear me, friends. Together, Olive Baptist Church can do more than we can ever do separate. Tomorrow's the 4th of July. We talk about the United States of America. 50 states together can do more than one state can do by itself. United States, well, I'm telling you, the church united can do more than any one of us can do by ourselves. And let me just say to you, from your pastor's heart, I'm thankful you are the most generous people. For now, 32 years now, we've done this together. I have never asked you one time, but that you've stepped up and paid the freight on the vision that our church set forward. Whether it's building a building or going on mission, or doing this thing called the Ministry Village in the Cares House. 
again and again and again. You have done it. Years ago, we had a theme that was called Together We Build. And one wag said to me one day, why don't we rename that? I said, well, what would you call it? He said, forever we build. I said, well, amen. Let's do it. We're not done till Jesus comes. We must forever be expanding the kingdom. It may not be a building. It may be an outreach. Somehow, but I just want to, if I could hug every one of you right now, I'd tell you, I love you. I've had nothing but support. Every vision we put out, or you, you've said, okay, let's go. Let's get it done. People have written big checks and small checks and everything else in between. Now they're giving online. My goodness. I called the guests every Saturday. I said, I, I, it was an hour and a half yesterday it took me to call all the guests. I had a thick folder full, and I called and called and called and called and called. Uh, person after person after person. Grateful to God for those that the Lord's bringing here and being a part uh, of us. And people step up and go with us and go forward. I'm grateful to God uh, for every one of you and you being a part, whether you've been here 30 minutes or 60 years. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for living the Barnabas principle of generosity. The second thing we learned from Barnabas is not only generosity, but humility. That is giving up your own importance, position, and power. Humility. When God called me to preach when I was 17 years of age, the first two verses I ever memorized were 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, the 6th and the 7th verses. These were the two, because you'd never seen a more arrogant young man than you'd have found me. I still have the clipping that has me playing high school sports in the local paper in a black and white photo with me coming around the end with a football about to score. And it said, Mr. Everything. They said that about me in the local paper. You're 17 years old, that'll make your head swell up like a balloon. Well, I did score twice and intercept two passes and kick three field goals that day, but, uh, <laughs> and we won and beat the number one team in the state of Alabama. We had a pretty good day. You know what God tells you when you think you're something? He tells you this. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at proper time and cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Get over yourself, big boy. He didn't say God was going to humble me, though God's done that. In this text, he told me to humble myself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Amen. And at the proper time, he will exalt you. And then cast all your worry, all your anxiety, all your care on him because he cares for you. Oh, friend, there is no substitute for humility in the local church. Humility. I pulled in last night, fill up my wife's van, gasoline. Stopped by the bank, got a loan, then drove down. <laughs> There's a lady at the next pump. She jumped out. She said, Pastor. I said, yes, hello. I didn't look very pastoral. Been working in the yard. 
And she said, I bet you can't go anywhere people don't know you. I said, ma'am, when I can go somewhere in this town, they don't know me, it's time for me to quit. The way we do business and television and all the stuff we do. Now, friend, you can think you something if you want to. But I'm here to tell you, without Jesus, you're a zero. Did you hear me? You say, well, you don't know how much money I got. You don't know how much you can lose. You said, I don't know. You, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what Jesus can do. Get over yourself. Get on your face. And humble yourself before mighty God. And at the right time, he'll exalt you when it needs to be done. Barnabas teaches us about humility. Give up your own importance, your own position, and your own power. Humility. Pride goes right before a great fall. Generosity, humility, integrity. Barnabas teaches us that truthfulness so that others can depend on your character is so important. That's your integrity. Truthfulness so others can depend on your character. When you fast forward about six chapters to chapter 11, verse 24, you find that Barnabas has been sent down to Antioch where God is doing a new work, and they say, go check it out, and Barnabas is there. And the Bible says about Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. There you go. That's what you need to be. Every man and woman in this place ought to strive to be Acts eleven twenty four. A good man or a good woman, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And then considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Integrity. You go a few more verses and you find him come into church. His name is Saul. God saved him on the Acts 6 road, uh, Acts 9 road, and brought him to church. And he walks in. He's the killer of the church. He's the murderer of the church. And they say, well, we don't want that guy coming. And the Bible tells us that Barnabas put his arm around Saul, who would be the apostle Paul. Gave us 13, maybe 14 books in the New Testament, according to how you look at Hebrews. Paul, that great, great New Testament writer, preacher, church builder, and planner, he would not have made first base if Barnabas hadn't put his arm around him. He and Barnabas later even had a falling out. But Barnabas, because of his integrity, Paul had integrity, and Paul would have never had integrity without the integrity of Barnabas. Barnabas, a great, great man of generosity, humility, and integrity. Church, hear me. Those of you in this room watching by video, television, internet, the church needs you. Those of you that have a heart toward, Olive needs you, and Olive needs you to trust in God. You need to trust in God. This nation needs a church that will trust in God. Yes. I got two quarters in my pocket. There's old George, the first president 
right there next to his face. In God we trust. It's on our coins. It's been there since 1864. This world needs a church full of people trusting God. Just like this world needs a nation that would trust God. Hmm. It was later our motto was changed to in God we trust and they began to put that on our folding money. It's kind of like you to give. Amen. In God we trust. Right there it is. Right on the backside. Do you know every time you use money, which you rarely do anymore, but if you use money to pay for something, you can give a witness with a dollar bill. You could. Just get them to leave the currency. I'm trusting God. If you trusted God, That'll open up a question. That'll open up a dialogue. This week I will do tomorrow what I always do on the 4th of July. I will get out an old history book that I've had for years and I will read the Declaration of Independence. And I'll read through that and pray for leaders. Then I always have a good time thinking back because I love history and I like to think of presidents. One man I read yesterday said, we've had many, many presidents. He said, we've had liars and lemons and losers. That's what he said. He said, but we've never had a tyrant because George Washington said, I will not be the king. I will be the president, but I will not be a king, and we will not have a king. Therefore, we've not had a tyrant. There's always been a way to get rid of the president. Time or vote or death. I think about presidents. Harry Truman, the cussing Baptist. Jimmy Carter, the liberal Baptist. Yeah, all kind of presidents. Liars, lemons, and losers. That's not my words, that's a historian. But as I think back to this week, I never think about the 4th of July without the president. Who was the president when I was born? Mr. Eisenhower. He served our nation in the military. He was elected in 1952. Sworn in as the president in January 1953. And 10 days after his inauguration, he walked out the doors of the White House and down the street to a Presbyterian church where his wife, Mamie, was a member and asked to speak to the pastor. I've had a lot of people come to my office and ask to speak to the pastor. Never had the president show up. Had the governor one time, but never had the president show up. Can you imagine that Presbyterian? He would have had to believe this was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Amen. Dwight Eisenhower came in and the conversation was, Sir, I grew up in a home where Christ was taught. I believe I followed him, but I've never been baptized. And President Eisenhower asked that Presbyterian preacher if he had baptized. The only president, only sitting president of the United States 
to be baptized while in office was Eisenhower. Ten days after his inauguration, they baptized him by immersion. Not a little sprinkling, little dabble, do you? He was plunged. He was baptized the Bible way, like these two little girls and others that we saw last week. More we see next. And Eisenhower put a real thrust about religion and faith into his presidency. He and Billy Graham became fast friends. It was Eisenhower who asked Congress to put two words in this pledge that were not there in 1952. Had you pledged the flag in 1951, you would have pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation indivisible. And he asked them to put under God in the pledge, and they did. 1954. The motto of America was e pluribus unum. Out of one were many. And Eisenhower asked Congress to change the American motto to in God we trust. Now, you won't believe this. In 1954, In God We Trust became the motto of the United States. It passed both houses of Congress without discussion, a unanimous vote. I dare any legislator to simply ask Congress today to reaffirm our motto. Well, about three months later, we'd still be cussing each other. Because we are such a divided place. But in 54, every member of the House, every member of the Senate, I, in God, why was that? I'm telling you why it was, is because the people of America in 54 did trust in God. There's greater church attendance than any other time. And it grew. Eisenhower said the reason he put the emphasis where he did is because as a warrior he saw the difference between American freedom and communist oppression. And he said the difference in American freedom and communist oppression is the faith of the people in the streets of America what he said you'll have to look high and low to find that today but in the 50s which is not too long ago because I was alive there was something afoot oh but today there's division that's why on the 14th day of August I'm I'm asking you to join me in making August 14, Bring a Friend Sunday to Olive. I'm asking you to find everybody you can find, bring them to this church on August 14 in six weeks. Giving you plenty of lead time. You got all month to work on it. Make a list, pray over it, send notes. I had a friend come this morning. I've been working, working, working. They showed up out there and hugged my neck this morning. I'm asking everybody in here that's a member of this church, August 14, you bring somebody with you that day. Maybe somebody dropped away. I mean, there's a divided time. I'm, I'm just telling you, this, this, is, this is the weirdest time. I've, I mean, I've been to this place 32 years almost. We'll be at the end of the 
year, if I make it to live, draw breath to November, I'll be here 32 years. I've never seen anything like this. I've been cussed on both sides of many fences. I've had people on the COVID side say, you didn't do enough. I've had people on the COVID side say, you did too much and we ain't coming. I've had people say, because you gave the, had the Pledge of Allegiance in church, I ain't coming back. I've had people say, you didn't put enough emphasis on the red, white, and blue on the 4th of July, I ain't coming back. You can't win. The goal is not to win. The goal is to lift up Jesus. The goal is to win people to faith in Christ. The goal is to glorify the Son of God. The goal is to lift him up. He'll do the drawing. He'll do the winning. We are to be his people all together, loving one another. The pallbearers are at the door. Aren't you glad Ananias and Sapphira's principles not alive this morning on the third day of July? So I've decided, oh man, you remember last week? You remember last week what I put on the screen? I put Joe Kennedy up there. Remember the football coach that knelt down and prayed and the Supreme Court said it was okay to do it? You know where Joe Kennedy lives? Pensacola, Florida. He lives right here. I didn't know that. I found him. I mean, it'd be easier to, I did, I found him. But this week I had people quote the scripture and say, you know, he's a hypocrite because you're not supposed to pray in public. Jesus said, just go to your quiet place. I said, no, wait a minute, you, you, you got to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and, and Paul said, I would that men pray all time in every place. I said, so wait a minute. So you can't pray and you go out to eat today? That's hypocrisy. Can't pray in church? He said, not in the synagogue. Come on now. I argued people this week. I said, you, you, you got a bad hermeneutic. They said, what's that mean? I said, you can't understand the Bible. But you see, the ruling of the Supreme Court was not whether or not Joe Kennedy was a hypocrite or not. It's whether or not that it's okay for a guy to pray. It got nothing to do with his hypocrisy or his theology. It has everything to do with the freedom level. Well... You can argue all day, but I'm not into arguing. I'm not, I, I don't want to argue. We, we're just going to proclaim and leave the results to Jesus. Love one another. We don't have differences of opinion. Yeah, but listen, listen, listen. When you get on the Ananias and Sapphira train and jealousy and deceit and hypocrisy, you're going to kill yourself and kill your church. And that's why you must love God and then love your fellow traveler as yourself. Amen. Okay, I'm done. I didn't know how long I was going to have to wait, but I... All right, today when John sings, this has been a different kind of message. 
I've, I've asked the pallbearers not to come gather up. If anybody dies, we'll just let you lay here. All right, you ain't going anywhere anyway. I want to do two things. Number one, if you're here today without Jesus or without a church and you need Jesus or you need a church, I'm going to invite you to come right here. Deciding for Christ today. Also, if there's someone in this room that has greatly encouraged you, then I want you during this invitation to go to them. Don't come to me. Even if I'm the one, don't come to me. You see me after church. I'll be busy. Those people need to come join the church. Trust the Lord. But if there's somebody over here, that, I want you just to walk over there and tell them. Say, preacher, why you do that? Because I was standing at the door this morning greeting people for the early service. And a man came in and he said, Pastor, thank you for not losing your fire. I said, why? He said, in 1990, you came here. I started coming in 1991 and you and Robert Dunn came to my house. On a February night, and that's the night I met Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Can I just give you a hug and thank you for coming to my house? I could have just gone home right then. I didn't even need to see y'all. I'd been blessed and encouraged because somebody spoke a Barnabas word into my heart. If there's somebody here you need to speak that to, then you feel free. To that. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. You're here to be saved? Come. You're here to join the church? Come. Come with a burden to pray? Come. Or if there's somebody you just need to say thank you, just walk across there and shake their hand today. It'll be a good day for them and you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you'd have your way in this invitation. I pray, Father, people come get saved. I pray people come join the church. I pray people come unload a burden. I ask you, God, that people will be encouraged in this room today. Thank you that the spirit of Barnabas is alive and well at a place.